everybody. Welcome to Hey Watch This. I am Paul Goble. I am David Bax. And um, we're kind of in, uh, I don't know, it's a weird time in the TV world because things have come back and things are canceled. And Speaking they, of which, Children's Hospital, this will be the final season. Good. Not good. Show I has mean, outlived its usefulness. It's, surpri- it's amazing to me that this show that like was a web series on a web on a website that doesn't exist anymore right uh, is now it had seven or eight seasons and it's Emmy winning too yeah which is funny but uh, I watch that show and think these people have all done so many better things in their careers and in their lives why don't I just watch that that's how I feel I'm like so if you do you're saying if you do something great you should never, like as an artist, you should never do anything else again unless it's as good as that thing. It doesn't have to be as good, but considering like all those guys, David Wayne and Ken Reno, have done parodies and sketches already that are really, really good and funny and clever, uh-huh. they don't need to be doing this. It's just more of the same shit. That's the problem. It's, you know, that's why I liked the first day at camp. You know, big fat wet summer yeah, show. That's what I, it's called. I liked it a lot because it was a new idea. Even though they were bringing back an old idea, it was a new take on it. Like we're super old now, and and it was funnier than it was before. But just new shit. That's why Joe Latruglia is so great on Brooklyn Nine Nine. He's a grown up now. He's an actor. <laughs> he's playing a part, and he's super funny. Same with Tom Lennon and everything he does. He's not a fucking teenager anymore. Ken Marino. Was brilliant on uh, Peggy Carter this season. Who would have ever expected Ken Marino? But he's playing this gangster and he's really good. He's just right in between cartoonish and real, you know. The way you need to be on a show like that. They're all so good and talented. Children's Hospital is just like something that guys in college would do. And, And I know that it's... Made for guys like that, but they're all. I, I mean, I do so think bad. you're selling it short. I think Children's Hospital has, uh, on some sometimes for stretches, it does seem like um, it's a little uh, half-assed because they're just sort of cobbling together what they can with the availability of the schedules. <laughs> but I think it has attempted and in some cases achieved um, a higher level of uh, of parody or, or satire or well, yeah, that deconstruction. Ep- that episode we watched with John Hamm, I really yeah. liked it. It was funny. But I'm saying it's time to it's time to go though. But did you ever see the episode this and this was a Ken Reno centric episode a few years ago that was um I can't remember what it was called, but it, it in in this, you know, eleven minute episode, it took place over the course of an entire year. Uh, it's a brilliant episode. Oh, it's yeah. called like a year in the life or something. I vaguely remember that. That's a great, great episode. And they yeah. sometimes when they when they would I think that show gave them the freedom to, like, essentially toss out the premise for sometimes and just do, like, let's see if we could do something crazy here. And mm-hmm. they ended up doing some really cool stuff. Uh, and I, I will I will miss that. Okay. But, yeah, that, that said, seven seasons is enough. It's plenty. <laughs> it's plenty. And it's not this like... This isn't going to be one of those canceled before it's time. Like, yeah. <laughs> and it's not like it's leaving a, a hole to fill. There's right. plenty of great, stupid, ridiculous shows that are only 15 minutes long. You know, right? There's like this podcast today. What? We're almost done. Okay. <laughs> what are you going to watch, David? So, <laughs> speaking of watching things, I watched the Real O'Neills this week. Did you watch that? Uh, no, I did not. Uh, I just watched the first episode. It's pretty good. 
I uh, I enjoyed it. You know, like I said, did I talk about this last week? How there's a bunch of shows on TV, the gay yes. show and the Jewish show. And I think I know you talked about it. I can't remember if it was on the podcast or off the podcast. Well, in any case, uh, I thought it was good because obviously the whole first episode is just about is this kid going to come out, and okay. that's the basis for the show because they're an Irish Catholic family. But uh, the what I liked about it was the kids, the oldest kid who who's anorexic. He's really funny. Uh And the girl, B.B. Wood, I think is her name. You know, she was on A New Normal. She was that little girl on A New Normal. She was funny on that, and she's funny on this. And, of course, Stan plays the dad. Yeah. Who doesn't love Stan? Yeah. Um, And you know what? Is Brian Husky? Yeah. He's their priest. uh, Their Catholic priest. Yeah. He's very funny. Yeah, so great cast. Martha Plimpton. Martha Plimpton is pretty much playing the same. She's playing the less white, trashy version Uh of her character on Raising Hope. But yeah, that's a great cast. Yeah, and they're all really funny, and it's, I mean, it fits in good with, you know, it looks like an ABC sitcom, just just like that, but I was thinking, like, does it occur to you that maybe Martha Plimpton and uh, Stan, what was Jeff his Ferguson. name? Yeah. <laughs> Met him. He's my good friend. <laughs> um, uh, does it occur to you that maybe they seem like one's a little too older, too much older than the other one? Like, doesn't Martha Plimpton seem a lot older? But is that him? just because she's been famous longer? Yes. Because I had—I will tell you—I saw. I think I mentioned last week um, that I saw the movie, the new movie that my, Michael Showalter directed called "Hello, My Name Is Doris." Did I did I mention that? No, yeah, I didn't mention it. But in the movie, Sally Field and Stephen Root play siblings. Right. Might, like Sally Field has been famous. Like, famous, famous since the 1960s. Right. Whereas Stephen Root, we, like, started to know him as a character actor in the 90s. Mm-hmm. So to me, like, I, my first thought was, like, that seems like a big gap between them. Right. She's only five years older than he is. And uh, Jay Ferguson is only two years younger than Martha Plimpton. So, and she's only two years younger than yeah. me. So it's that, not a big deal. That that happens, I think, a lot of... I, 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 I don't know if it happens to everyone, but it happens to me a lot where... The longer someone has been famous, the older. Yeah, you think they're super they old, are. and in like, some cases they're as old as you. In some cases, they're only like two years older. But you're like, ah, oh, I thought Martha Plimpton was really old. I guess <laughs> because she dated River Phoenix, I thought she must be a lot older than me. But yeah, um, I had that thing with um, Julia Roberts. I always think is older than she is, yeah. basically because I am just just young enough um, that I don't remember a time that Julia Roberts wasn't super famous. Like, I I have no memory of popular culture so without Mystic, Julia Roberts. So to me... Mystic Pizza had already come out when you knew who she was. Yeah, it came, Mystic Pizza came out when I was yeah. not even ten years old. Uh, and so, like, to me, she's like one of the elders of Hollywood. She might right. as well be, uh, uh, you know, getting Lifetime Achievement Awards and stuff. But she's <laughs> like... Yeah. She's not... She's, she's still pretty young. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she's pretty young. Yeah, and it, what's funny also is how, like, Jay always was in pretty good shape on Mad Men, but he's kind of fat now. Um, he's a little chubby. He looks like a father of three now. Okay. And, uh, um, but it's, it's, I don't know, it's funny because it takes place in modern day, so it's not such a big deal. I was going to ask. Yeah, it's not such a big deal that he's gay, but it is an Irish Catholic family, and he's a cop. They live in Chicago. Mm-hmm. You know, she's a, a homemaker. So there's all that, but it's great because it's the point of the show, of course, is regardless of what 
problems you have, you stick together as a family, you overcome it, blah, blah, blah. I think that's a great choice, Dub, because it's Dan Savage's story, so obviously right. it was, what, the 1970s or whatever when he would have come out uh, right. to, to his, his parents. So I think, But I think it's a really smart choice to update it to the I modern I totally day. agree, because if you're doing... Because the truth is, you know, it was a nightmare for him growing up gay, like a living nightmare, something you wouldn't wish on your worst enemy. And it, you know, made him start the whole It Gets Better campaign and mm-hmm. shit like that, because he couldn't stand living in a world where young men are afraid of being gay. And, you know, I can't imagine how awful that would be. So who the fuck wants to watch a sitcom about that? Horrible. But it's also, part of it is, if you set it in the 1970s, there's a way that the viewer can say, can look at it and be like, this is the way things used to be. Right. So sort of pat yourself time. on the back like, oh, we've come so far. Right. But by setting it here, you, you, can, you can highlight, like, no, this is still a problem. And you can be more realistic. Because, like, in the first episode, he comes out, of course, and then his brother goes, I'm anorexic. And it turns out that his little sister stole all this money she was collecting for church and bought a car <laughs> off of Craigslist. <laughs> and so they're like, Jesus, you guys are nuts. <laughs> and it's pretty funny. But the great thing is, you know, like and the last scene, the three kids are sitting on the couch and the older kid who says to the, the gay kid, so let me ask you some questions. And he basically starts grilling him about being gay. Uh-huh. Like your older brother would do. It's exactly what he yeah. would do. While your little sister sits there and kind of makes fun of you both. And, I, and, and if it was in the 70s, they'd be more freaked out about it. But now it's more realistic. Because yes, it's uncomfortable when you come out. It's a big deal. But in this day and age, even if people are not down with it, they're going to keep it to themselves. You know what I mean? Like, you come out, and everybody around, maybe there's an uncle or a neighbor or something who's not down with it. But they know better now than to go, how yes. dare you? Yeah. Uh, more people know better, yeah. Right? Yeah. More people know better, yes. And, and it's your immediate just, family, definitely. It's it's something, because it's more um, it's more prevalent in the culture now, people being out, there's mm-hmm. less, it doesn't, uh, hopefully it doesn't seem as, as alien. Yeah, exactly. It's it, when people come out now. It's not the parents don't go. Oh my god, my kid is gay. They go. Oh my god, I got to deal with this now. It's more about. Oh boy, I feel sorry for you that you're going to be bullied and whatever. That's where your mind goes as a parent, which is certainly better. But that's more realistic, and that's what the show is about. Yeah. Uh, in the first episode, he, the reason he comes out is because his girlfriend is like really crazy to have sex she's a hundred percent down she's basically like stick it in me what is your problem <laughs> and he has to say i'm gay i'm sorry i'm i don't want to have sex with you because i'm gay and then it comes out but it's a funny show and i hope it lasts uh another show i liked was okay. Tr- true inside it's on true tv and it's like a retrospective show where they pick a movie and they talk about it for an hour and show clips and whatever and the first episode was airplane Okay. So it was fucking great. Yeah. If you are a fan of this movie, watch this episode. Because it's an hour of Abraham Zucker and Abrahams, uh-huh. um, Robert Hayes, um, Julie Haggerty, and... Okay, ha- I think you got it backwards. There's two Zuckers and one Abraham. Oh, did I? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's a Z-A-Z. That's yeah. right. Zaz. So it's all them and all these people involved with the movie, but a lot of like background people, the editor, and he talks about why he cut it the way he did. He cut it like a drama. And they talk to Michael Eisner, of all fucking people, because back then he was the, a guy at Paramount who greenlit movies, and he greenlit Airplane, of all things. And it's funny, you watch it and go, Michael Eisner, 
he really was a fucking genius. Uh-huh. He really knew what he was doing, even back then. Um, did they tell the story, one of my favorite stories about Airplane, the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar role was uh, written um, for Pete Rose. No. And the movie got delayed to the point where when they were shooting, it was the middle of August, and okay. Pete Rose was playing, or uh, whatever. Um, and so they were like, what athlete is in the offseason that we can get that's right now? Funny. And that's how it ended up being crew And I bet they even wrote a line like, my dad says you don't yeah. really hustle except during the <laughs> yeah. playoffs. Because um, <laughs> that is fucking Pete Rose 100%. And then the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar story, like, they offered him, I can't remember the exact amount of money, but they offered him a certain amount. And he was like, uh, if you raise it to this amount of money, because that's the exact amount of this incredibly expensive antique Persian rug I want to buy, yeah. then I'll do it. So he took the money and, Makes sense. and, and bought a Persian rug. Bought a big-ass rug. <laughs> well, they, yeah, they talk about all the great things about the movie. Like the fact that they were watching the movie Zero Hour, right. and of which it is a direct parody. But instead of writing a direct parody, because they didn't know how to write a movie, they just bought the rights to Zero Hour. Uh-huh. And then took the script... And for the most part, it's word for word the exact same movie with jokes added in. It's fucking amazing <laughs> yeah. to me. And they show those scenes side by side. Oh, cool. The lead character's name, Ted Stryker, in that. And that's funny. And, they, and then they talk about how Lloyd Bridges and Robert Stack all showed up and were like, I don't know about this. Like they said, uh, uh, what's his name? Um, Mr. Phelps, uh, Clarence Over, uh-huh. Peter Graves. <laughs> He didn't want to do the movie, and his family talked him into it. Said, this will be hilarious. You'll be on screen again. And he, obviously, because he has all that stuff with the kid, yeah. which is not cool. I, mean, <laughs> I, 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 I get it. I wouldn't want to be that guy either. But he didn't think it was funny. But then how Robert Stack was like, come on. We're just playing it straight, and people are going to laugh at us. Uh-huh. Get on with it. But then Lloyd Bridges, who was actually more of a dramatic actor, was like, what? I don't understand, and was trying to get into it. And then they talked to Maya Rudolph for some reason. Like... Just because she's a fan of the movie. Yeah. I have a feeling she was like, oh, I'd love to be on it. Because she's the only real celebrity on it. Because most of the people involved in the movie are dead. Yeah. Um, and Robert Hayes goes and looks at the old cockpit, which is in some museum in Pacoima. It's fucking great. One of the best things about it, though, is it shows how these guys truly were geniuses. Because, like, they said they wanted the plane to be a prop plane in the movie, just mm-hmm. like in Zero Hour. And Mike Eisner said absolutely not. Well, first of all, they wanted it in black and white. And Michael Eisner said, I see your point, but we're going to lose too many people who, who won't see it simply because it's in black and white, mm-hmm. and, and we're not doing it. And he put his foot down as the guy in charge, and they went, okay. But then they said, we want it to be a prop plane. And he said, no, it makes no sense. It has to be a jet. How can you have all these people on a prop plane? <laughs> and if it's on a prop plane, it's going to look like it took place 40 years ago. It has to be a jet. And they're like, fine. But if you watch the movie, you realize that it's making the sound of a, pro- of a propeller plane. <laughs> when they show the plane, the jet rising, going through the sky, it's going... And Eisner even said, you know, they, they, I won the argument, but they won the day because they put that sound in it. And I turned to Brooke and I said, that's why those guys are geniuses. Because if Eisner hadn't said that, it would have been a prop plane and that wouldn't have been a joke. Yeah. But instead they said, eh, let's put the sound in there anyways. And it's fucking great. And the whole movie is full of shit like that. Yeah. Uh, and that's why it's so funny. And then there's also one of the Zuckers, I can't remember which one basically has all the shit from their movies in his house as a little museum, including Leslie Nielsen's fart noise maker. Uh, yeah. Have you ever seen him on talk shows do I've that? Heard, I've heard the stories. Yeah, yeah. And he says, here it is, and it's in a little glass case. It's fucking great. And uh, it's really, if, you, if you're a fan of that movie, watch it. But they're doing Election, 
and uh, a bunch of great comedies. Okay. So it, it's and it's only an hour long. It's not doesn't go on forever, but it's really well done. It's called True Inside. That's all I watched this week. What did you do? Well, um, I just want I want to bring uh, uh, what I do. I saw some movies. I ate some food. I did, <laughs> I, I did what I normally do. Nothing mm-hmm. special. Um, but I want to bring something up. I was watching uh, late late last night, in the middle of the night, on the Hallmark Channel. I was watching Frasier reruns, as I tend to do. Okay. <laughs> when I'm up late, they show Frasier and Cheers reruns at like from like midnight to two a.m. Uh, or probably one to three. It's not important. I want to put a question out to you and to the listeners. Okay. Has there ever been a worse character on a good show than Bulldog, the guy who had the slot after Frasier in the, <laughs> on Frasier? Like, it, the sh- I, I, I really like Frasier. Every yeah. time he's on, I'm like, fuck. Like, really? Just kind of counting the seconds until his scene is over. That's funny. It's hard because Frasier was obviously objectively a good show. It was popular. It was well-written. It's funny. It has a place in the American lexicon. Checks all the boxes. So, but Bulldog wasn't a regular, and yeah, no, yeah, I, I should specify. And he was only in a character. handful of episodes. So to say he, I don't know. I mean, he is a bad character, but I didn't. It's not like I hated him. There are other characters on that show who I hated a lot more than Bulldog. The <laughs> un, well, the unseen Maris. I was like, didn't you do that gag already on Cheers? Why do we have to see this already? Okay. I didn't like that. Um, I didn't. Uh, I didn't like. Uh, when uh, Niles was getting married to that lady, do you remember her? She uh, was. Uh, it was after him and Maris broke up, and then he was engaged to this chick who's been in a million shows. <clears throat> if I showed you a picture, but I can't remember her name. But she was just like another Maris, but worse. Okay. And I just thought, we get it. Eventually, they're gonna just move it along. These two are gonna end up together. Clearly, let's just fucking that whole time in the okay. in Fraser's run. Very irritating. And then same with. Uh, I think his character's name was Donnie, but it's Saul Rubinek. You know who Saul Rubinek is? is. He was going to marry Daphne originally. Oh, that's right. Remember? And then Niles said, I love you, and they broke up, and then Yeah, I don't like him as much. I think Bulldog just, I know he's supposed to be like, he's like the sports guy, I guess, or whatever. Yeah. But what he is to me is every hacky road comic. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's that's who he reminds me of, like a guy who's been doing the same middle of the road act on the road for <laughs> well, twenty years. That's I think that's what he was kind of supposed to be on the talk radio channel. There's always that fucking guy who makes racket and yells, and it's usually the sports guy. I think the ironic part is Dan Butler, of course, is gay with a capital gay, uh-huh. and he's nothing <laughs> like that guy. Dan, uh, he's nothing like Bulldog, um, but. Uh, Maybe the movie is overcompensating. This is not my trivia question for the week. Um, but there was once on Cheers when we did kind of see Maris. Or not Maris. Uh, uh, Vera. Yeah, we saw her legs on the steps, right? Um, oh, was that... Well, there's another one then. What was that? Um, now I'm, now you got me second-guessing myself. <laughs> doesn't she show up in the um, Thanksgiving pie fight episode? Oh, yeah. With, if she's got a pie on her face. So you never see her face. She walks her in... Feet. And a pie is thrown, and everybody goes, <gasps> and they turn, and she's standing there with pie on her face. Yes. And I'm, I think it was Bernadette Burkett, Norm's real wife, oh, George really? Wentz's wife. I didn't know that. Because she played her on the stairs, and whenever she would yell, that was her. Okay. Because she's an actress, and, a, and she's a Second City lady. She was the lady in Mr. Mom. When, I've never seen Mr. Mom. Oh, Mr. Mom's one of my favorite movies, but there's a scene where he's you know being Mr. Mom in the grocery store, and he's pushing a cart, and he realizes... He doesn't have... It's not his kid. 
It's not his cart. It's not his kid. <laughs> and he goes, oh, my God. And he's running around the store. And he finds his kid in this lady's cart. And it's Bernadette Briquette. And he's like, oh, thank God. Here. And he gives her the baby and takes his. And then she smiles and goes, wait, this isn't my baby. <laughs> it's a funny scene. It's one of the big scenes in the movie where he's shopping, trying to be Mr. Mom. Um, anything else you want to bring up before we start talking about uh, No. The I don't know. I saw, I, I saw a movie that is... Perhaps of interest, but I also don't really want to recommend it. It's available on Amazon. Uh huh. It's called Dudes and Dragons, and it's like a <laughs> sort of low rent green screen like uh, con- like fantasy comedy. Dudes and Dragons. Yeah. Why do you watch stuff like this? I watched this because I got invited to the premiere. Uh. Um, and because at the premiere was going to be and doing a Q&A after was going to be the guy who plays the villain in Dudes and Dragons uh-huh. one James Marsters okay uh, Spike from Buffy sure and he's good in the movie I, just, I wish uh, if you want to hear me talk about the movie listen to the Battleship Retention movie journal from this week because it's like it's a two hour long thing that is not at any point terrible it's right. just I don't understand the motivation for me like why does this exist where was the premiere uh, at the Harmony Gold you know that mm-hmm. uh, screening room yeah. That's where I saw uh, that Irish movie where that girl had a baby. Uh, Steve Coogan's movie. Oh, Philomena. Yeah, I saw yeah. that with him there and got to ask him questions. And Tom Bergeron was there. Okay. And it took everything, it took all my power not to stand up and go, Steve, how old would you say Philomena was in that first scene? You know, when we see her. Or more importantly, how old would Michael Caine <laughs> Say she was in that first scene. Yeah, I think he would have gotten a lot of groans if you had. But if he had done it, uh-huh. how great would that have been, right? I guess. Because yeah. half the people there would have went, "Who the fuck's this guy? What is he talking about?" <laughs> the other half would have went, "Oh man, this is great. Let's see if he does it." Right. And at least one of them would have accused you of being the worst person in the world. Yeah, probably. But I'm used to that by now. I mean, well, now that all the you know Osama bin Laden's dead, Saddam Hussein is dead, so who's really left? It's all me. All right, let's talk about the family. Okay. Uh, first of all, did you see my hilarious joke that I put on Twitter about the family? No. I thought, what would it be like if the family and family guy were combined? Uh-huh. It'd be called the family guy. <laughs> and it might go something like this. I want a big piece. I want the one with frosting. <laughs> Right? How great is that? Oh, oh man. I was doing that for Brooke, and she was laughing her ass off, but it's because she was high. And I was like, is this really funny? And she goes, she couldn't stop laughing, but mainly she knew this is just the stupidest thing ever. It's, yeah, I think that's very funny. But also, I... <laughs> Who's going to get it? Only people who... I mean, I guess most people are familiar with Family Guy, but you, people would have had to... Like, you can't just be familiar with the premise of the family. Right, you, you have, have to watch, watch the episode. The or, or at least seen the ads, because they put that in the ad oh, over okay. and over again. But the good thing is I tweeted it, and I tagged the family ABC and Family Guy. Uh-huh. So people watch it and look at the video and go, I don't get it. But at least they can click on right. the family and maybe see it. Look, George really wants to get in there. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> well, let's talk about the family. Now, we talked about this a million years ago. When we were talking about the fall season. And we both said, oh. Really this one. Yeah, but I remember we both said, oh, that sounds kind of cool. Yeah. Like we did with other shows that turned out to be bad. But this one wasn't horrible. I it, would say it was, 
a, a, it, was, it was above not horrible. I think, yeah, it I, was I good. It was pretty good. It wasn't impressive. I think the problem was this show. Um, obviously, they had to set up a lot of stuff in the first episode. There's a ten year backstory there, so there's a lot of shit to show. Not just you know you got to set up just first of all the premise. This kid was kidnapped, but then everything that happened since. They framed a dude. He was in jail for ten years. Uh, the dad started fucking the cop. The cop went from officer to detective. Uh, what else happened? She went from councilwoman to mayor. Yeah. Uh, the kids at Guilford went from a smartass to an alcoholic. Uh-huh. Allison Pill went from a uptight girl to a you know conservative Christian uh-huh. and liar. Clearly, um, what else happened in those ten years? Well, see, that's. Um... What you're describing here is what makes it a good show, but not a really good show. Right. Yes, I think you're right. All of these things you're saying, it creates this mystery of not only what happened to this boy, is this actually the same boy, but it creates all these little mysteries of what happened in these these ten years. How did all these characters go from this point to this point? Right. So it's all very mystery-based, and it hooks you like that, but I think what it lacks, with one exception I'll get to... Is um, compelling characters. Yeah. Beyond that, I would say the one exception is the cop. She's the one, and maybe it's because she's the narrator, and I think she's set up mm. as, um, even though she's not in the family, that's the name of the show, she's set up almost <laughs> as the protagonist of the show. Yes. Because, and, and she's the one I most want to know about. I yeah. most want to know, like, how did she convince herself? How did she let herself uh, be tricked by this, you know, framing thing and how, right. what has that done to her? How Why she, did she start fucking the dad? Yeah, and also, I mean, because she, to me, she's, she's an interesting character from, not the first, like, the prologue, but the first scene when she, in the ten years ago part, where she's meeting the family. Right. And she's not being the, um, timid young cop. Yes, I like, like that too. She's, like, talking to them very forcefully. Yeah, even. Stella, let's stop fucking around. We got two hours. <laughs> yeah. Two hours to find your son, so let's cut the shit. Yeah. And, it, and it starts again when the, when Joan Allen says, "I you know I haven't seen him for ten years. You'll give me a night." And she goes, "No, if you want me to find the guy who did this, yeah. we got fucking work to do." But then, and you think, "Oh, she's just being a good cop." But then you realize, no, she hates herself uh-huh. because she knows she fucked up this whole thing, right? And but, she's been living with that for ten years. But that's the thing that because that's an unexpected choice, both when the Yep. Screenwriter, director, and actress. That that was the thing when I went. I want to know more about that character. Yeah. Whereas the other stuff, it's uh, it, it it is interesting, but it it seems like it's it does seem to me like it would be the kind of show that might be good to wait uh, a while with them on the DVR and burn like, through them so you can get the answers. Like I do for. with Scandal. That's, yeah. that's how I do with Scandal. I I don't watch it when it's regularly on because I lose interest in the week that I'm waiting for a new episode. So yeah, and and it's and it's a good. I guess it's a good problem to have because the truth is they had to set up every single character's backstory because that's the point of this show. What happened in these ten years? So they had to set up all these characters. Then they had to catch us up and say what's happening now. And they had to let Andrew McCarthy out of prison and show people still hate him. They had to lay all that stuff. So there really wasn't time. He's actually really good too. Yeah, yeah. There really wasn't time for a lot of character development. Or moving a story on. It was more set up. And I guess that's why another episode is on tonight. Like whatever, four days later. So they can jump right into it. But you're right. For what they get for the limited... For what little they all actors had to work with. What they did with it was very impressive. And especially Andrew McCarthy. And let's face it. He sucks. 
Andrew McCarthy's a bad actor who got by on his looks for years and his nice personality. Okay. Of all those Brat Packer guys, come on. He's, like, probably the worst, right? Maybe, yeah, he's not the most uh, uh, exciting name in the Brat Pack. Exactly. But, uh, I, think, I, I can't agree with you because I think he's really good here. That's what I'm saying. And on here, he's great. And... Uh, and I think he'll. This is going to be his big like comeback, like William Shatner on Boston Legal. People are going to start paying attention to Andrew McCarthy, and young people are going to go, "Who is this guy? Where did he come from?" And their yeah. parents go, "Hey, let's watch Class or let's watch Saint Almost Fire or something." And then same with Zach Guilford, who we know is a great actor. Um, this is a completely different part for him. Yeah. Um, yeah, it is. Um, Nice to see Zach Gilford, who was so often cast in the, as the, the the nicest character alive. You know, even yeah, Matt Saracen not... had troubles, but he's like, <laughs> he's the boy next door. Yeah, this uh, is not Matt Saracen. He's the opposite. Yeah. He's the anti-Saracen. So he'll be able to stretch and do some stuff. We know Allison Pill can be over the top, so hopefully she'll rein it in on this, because yeah. her character is clearly nuts. <laughs> and what is she over the top? I'm not as familiar, I guess. Um... Because uh, I like her in a lot. The of stuff. newsroom. Uh, oh, I never watched. Yeah, that. yeah. That you you'll get plenty of Allison Pill if you watch the okay. newsroom. I mostly know her as a movie actress. And I yeah. like her in Scott Pilgrim and yeah. in um, uh, what's the hockey one? Goon. Yeah, uh, yeah. No, she's good. Uh, I enjoy her work, but is a little well. The whole show, the whole newsroom thing. If you watch it, you'll know exactly what I was talking about. Right. Um, but also the kid who plays the kid on the show. He was in the way way back. Right. He was the yeah. kid in the way way back. He's really good, and he was on. Uh, the Killing, he was very good on that. So it's got a great cast. And then I'm sure there's characters who we are, have yet to see, like that guy at the end who's clearly involved in some way. You know, they just showed a little bit of it. You remember Which that? No, it was I like don't... the very end of the show. He, he's buying a newspaper. And this woman, oh, yeah, yeah. woman says, oh, that family's gone through a lot, but you have no idea who he is. I think that's meant to be... The that's, actual kidnapper. Right? Yeah, that's most what, likely, yeah. yes. Or something, yeah, something like that. Because or, you see where he's driving is near the... The mines with the right where they're talking about, yeah. yeah. But also, there's so many. I mean, they 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 make it clear. Don't believe anything you see on this show. I mean, it, it couldn't be more obvious that Allison Pill's character faked this DNA test. You know, because because as a as a audience member watching it, you go, well, if they did a DNA test, then clearly it's him, right? That's the big hurdle you have to get over. Why do you think it's her who who faked it? Well, because as well. First of all, as soon as Zach Guilford says, are we sure he's Scott or whatever? She immediately stands up and yells, he passed the DNA test. Uh-huh. And then when she goes and uh, confesses, she confesses to planting that bottle 10 years ago. She doesn't say that, but that's what she's talking about. And she's confessing to the thing that she, the lie she just told, which obviously is the DNA test. Because she went in and did it and she faked it. And didn't they say, didn't somebody say, I call, oh, the reporter says, I tried to call the doctor. He doesn't exist. Yeah. So obviously a DNA test is is bullshit. That's another character we haven't mentioned who's my, maybe the least interesting character so far is the reporter. Yeah, but that's like, I mean, think of a show or movie you've watched where there's that character in it. The reporter who pretends to be a friend so they can get a story, that character always sucks. Yeah. <laughs> right? It always is the bullshit character. I like the fact that... Here's what I like about this character. I'm glad you brought it up. Because I like the fact that she played on 
uh, Zach Guilford's weaknesses. Like she went to her produ- her producer, her editor, <laughs> newspaper, yeah. her editor, and said, "I know exactly how to get this story. I'm going to talk to the son. I'm going to tell him we used to go to school together. I'm going to give him a big kiss. He's going to get a boner, and he's going to fucking <laughs> spill. And that's exactly what happened because she was right. But here's my question." Did she really go to high school with him? Was she really there? Because that seemed like an unnecessary lie. You know what I mean? Uh, well, I mean, she is. The editing implies that she's the girl that he's that he was out. making out with, yeah. right? But it's only an implication. If it was really her, because also yeah. the younger kids, for those of you who haven't watched it, the younger kids are played by different actors, and it seems to me they've gone through a lot of trouble. To make sure that the older kids look nothing like the younger kids. Have you noticed that? Uh, like, Alison yeah. Pill's nose got smaller as she got older. Um, I do like that. I, I like that it's the kind of show, uh, and this is why it'll be good for binge watching, I think, uh, if these things pay off, where it can have. I mean, you, you said that Al, young Alison Pill planted that bottle, but the way it's edited, it looks like she just discovered it there. Right. And told someone. But you're right, she had a backpack with her. She very well could have. It's the kind of, and this could not be the same girl uh, from Zach Guilford's past. Um, I like that it's the kind of show that they could have twists where you go like, wait, how did that happen? And then you go, oh, and we never actually said it was this other thing. Exactly. It just lets you believe it. There's another show like that, and I can't remember. I I know someone's going to write me and go, this is just like whatever. But it's a show where they they show you something, and then four episodes later they show you that's not what you actually saw. Right. You You saw this, but this is what you really saw. Because, like, when we were watching it, and, like, I was saying to Brooke, this is actually pretty brilliant because as this kid shows up ten years later, he really looks nothing like the other kid. But you go, well, it's ten years, and it's yeah. and that. Neither, none, none, his siblings don't look like they right, and it's and it's that moment when kids really do change. He went right. from a boy to a young man, but then you look at the other kids and go, like I said, Allison Pills' nose got smaller as she got older. <laughs> so I, I'm sure at some point someone's going to say he really doesn't look like him anymore, and then someone else is going to say neither do the other kids. <laughs> so what are you going to do about that? And like. You know, someone might go, well, Allison Pill, well, she had a nose job, so. And I think they did that on purpose because rather than kill themselves trying to find kids who look like adults, you know what I mean? I just like that you're convinced that Allison Pill's nose is going to be a huge reveal. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe, but that's what happens. The first season cliffhanger. That's these days when when an older kid doesn't look anything like their younger picture, and you look at them and you don't want to be rude. And then they eventually go, yeah, I didn't know his job and my hair used to be blonde. Uh-huh. It, it, that's how it happens. It's, it, those two things are enough to change a person's entire look. I, the, my favorite scene was when uh, Matt Sarazen says to his little brother, why didn't you run? First chance you got. Why didn't you just run? He says, I did. Last night. Yeah. First chance I got. And that was fucking great. Because, obviously, people say that all the time. You know, that's kind of a, a cliche but it's true. People go, why don't you fight back? Why don't you run? Oh, yeah, yeah. Because he fucking couldn't. Because he was a child being raped by a man. Yeah. Don't be a dick about it. Yeah. And, and that was all, I thought it was all very believable. The son's clearly an asshole. He's a fucking drunk. <laughs> he doesn't work. He cashes checks. Uh, you know, and he would say a dick thing like that. Um, I think it's, it's, it's a good show. I wish they had spent a little more time on good performances but it's only the first episode so I have a feeling the second yeah, I mean, one for a good cat like the, the, like Joan Allen is a great actress but there's yeah. not 
there's not much uh, meat on that character. Exactly. So hopefully there will be. Yeah, to to have to set up so much backstory for so many characters, you're not going to get great performances. Like, just the fact that, like, when their dad was giving a speech, and I thought, oh, they live in San Francisco? And Brooke said, no, no, Maine. She was the mayor of Maine. Yeah. like, so what the fuck is that guy in San Francisco? Like, they had to show that he's not really part of the family anymore. He's traveling around, and then they make reference to that. So it's just a lot of information. I have a feeling if it had been a two-hour pilot, it would have been a lot better. Yeah, that's probably true. Because there's... With uh, with Joan Allen's character, they seem to be... They seem to be wanting to plant these seeds of... Is she... um, Is she more, like, nakedly ambitious than she is caring? Like, did she really set up to have that photographer catch her and her ex-husband in the gazebo right or you know when she declares her candidacy for governor at the end but again but there's yeah. not enough there to support that right so I'm, uh, i hope they do uh, flesh her out as yeah a, it remind it's a little bit like 24 in that way where like people do shit for some reason and you're not quite sure why uh-huh. then three three episodes later they're like listen i'm a spy or listen <laughs> they kidnapped my son i had to do that thing so, yeah, it's it'll be a good binger, but I'm going to stick with it. I hope it doesn't fucking get canceled like every other show I like this season. Angel from Hell. We haven't talked about that, yeah, me did. and you, did we? Yeah, oh, okay. we talked about last week. Fucking bullshit. Uh, there's episodes of that show that they haven't even shown. Yeah. They just yanked the whole thing. How could it be doing that poorly? They'll put them online, right? Yeah, but why bother? All right. Um, all right. Uh, let's move on to trivia. Okay. Yeah. Last week's trivia question was about Full House. And I asked who the guy was who played Jesse's buddy, Dr. Dare, in the Dr. Dare episode. The answer was Scott Bayo. Yep. Chachi. Uh, and Jen Edwards got it right. She said she Googled it. She Googled Dr. Dare and looked at that episode. <laughs> I think it might have been called The Return of Dr. Dare or some shit like that. But uh, she was right as Chachi. I owe her a, yet another prize. So uh, just add, I'm, she's going to get a huge box of prizes. Um, so what is the trivia question this week? This one's pretty easy, or at least easily Googleable. Okay. Uh, this is Zach Guilford's third time being a regular cast member on a show since Friday Night, Light and Friday Night Lights ended. Both his other shows were canceled after half a season. Can you name both the other shows he was a regular on since Friday Night Lights? Well, I know one was a doctor show. That I watched a couple episodes of. Which no, the no creator good. of The Family was a producer-writer on. That's They clearly ah. worked together on that. Okay, and one of the Gummer girls was on that show. It was no good. Um, but I don't remember the name of it. The okay. other one, I want to say he played a lawyer. I don't remember because I never watched this because everyone said it was terrible from, from the jump. Is that, okay. That's a clue. Yeah, that's probably why I never watched it. So I, I don't know either name. The answer is no. So I got it right. You said, can you name them? And the answer is no. So once again, the king of TV reigns victorious. I was correct. But if you know the answer to that, what is it? Yeah, I remember the first one. Oh, yeah. I did watch the first episode. And I remember uh, Tyler said it was like the worst thing in the world. He couldn't couldn't shut up about it. Yeah, Yeah, because I only watched one episode and then... That was it. Whoa, so bad. Uh, but if you know the answer, we need two answers to get it right. Yeah. Write to Paul at thekingoftv.com, and uh, I'll let you know if you got it right. Follow me on the Twitter. If you are already following me on the Twitter, you might have noticed that this campaign to get me on at midnight has caught fire a little bit. Yeah? Just because I was watching last week, and there was this girl on, and I wish I could remember her name because she was really, really funny. Um, and she'd never been on before. She's young, uh, but... 
uh, she won the show. She was hilarious, and she won the whole game. And afterwards, she when she won, it was clear that she was really excited because she did the thing that teenagers do, stuck her tongue out and did uh-huh. a gang sign, you know. <laughs> she was clearly psyched. Um, but she killed it. And uh, when Chris introduced her, he said, you know, I saw her at the improv and asked her to be on the show. And I was like, so he can get people on the fucking show if he wants to. Uh-huh. I, he's a, it's his fucking show. So I just tweeted, tell Hardwick to get me on at midnight. This is the last time I'll ask. But Chris then retweeted it. So I thought, oh, he's, he retweeted, should I make this happen? I'll send it to Bart post-haste, Bart Coleman, who's the uh-huh. whatever the coordinator, producer of, on that show. So I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. So I started tweeting the shit out of it, and people were finding it. So I put up a, a poll, and I said, if I get on at midnight, I will do one of these things. And you can pick. One of them is uh, be completely naked under my... TV geek robe, which I said I would wear on the show already. <clears throat> Two, at some point, say fuck Trump during the show. Uh-huh. Three, kick Chris Hardwick in the ass. And then a fourth thing, which I don't remember. But um, You still have your robe? I have all three of them. Okay. D- including the one you jumped into the unchlorinated pool in? <laughs> no, I was only... I, was I wearing my robe in that? I don't know. I never. I just know the story. No, it was no, like no. a promo you did. Yeah, yeah. Where it was like cold. And yeah, it sucked. Scummy. There was a because there was a bit on the show that we did called Geeks Gone Wild, and it uh, and it was just us fucking around, and it was just for interstitials. But part of it was showing us jumping in a pool. But it was like this time of year. <laughs> it was like now where it's you know it's nice out, but it's not pool weather and this pool was not it was a pri- it was someone's house uh-huh. and it was not very well maintained and it was one of those st- things that you do when you're the star of the show and you want the show to be successful so you suck it up for the show you know what i mean you know what i'm saying yeah. if 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 i was jimmy kimmel i wouldn't have done it but if i was jimmy kimmel in the first season of win benstein's money I would have done it. And I basically was, so I did it. Uh-huh. And yes, it sucked. But we didn't jump in in our robes. But oh, okay. the, to answer your next question, yes, I have all three robes from the show <laughs> and two of the medals. Because I kept in contact with the girl who did publicity for Comedy Central, Jenny. And uh, I used to talk to her all the time. And like even long after the show, I'd say, hey, I'm doing a show can you send me some promos materials? And she'd send me DVDs and shit from Comedy Central. So one day she sends me, this is back on AOL, uh, Instant Messenger. She sends me an IM and says, hey, I have this box of robes and medals in my office. Do you want it? And it's funny to me because there was a time when those things were highly guarded and like, you know, kept it uh-huh. kept pristine like don't walk around in it because you can't get it dirty don't take it home uh-huh. leave it on the hanger <laughs> shit like that now they're in a fucking box in this promo girl's office because nobody gives a fuck anymore <laughs> so I immediately said oh yeah I'd love it and she messengered them over to me that day so I actually had all four I'm sorry I had all four robes including the guest geek robe uh-huh. so I said to the other guys hey I got your robes and they've all said, I'd like it, but I never got around to giving them to him. It's 10, 20 years later. That's because you don't have a messenger on call like the problem. Yeah, right, like her. Um, the, geek, the guest geek robe I gave to my friend Bob Bowden, who is the king of game shows. Okay. He's, if you know anything about game shows, he's the game show master. And uh, he used to run Game Show Network for a while, but he got me a lot of work. So I gave it to him as a gift. I sold the Music Geeks medal <laughs> online. <laughs> I really needed cash, and uh, I found some guy to pay me 50 bucks for it. Does he know that? 
Uh, who, the music geek? Yeah. I don't think so, maybe, but I don't know if he cares. He's but, doing well for himself, though. Oh, right? yeah, and he's doing good. He's fine. Um, but I was mentioning how, you know, I'll bring all the robes with me to the uh, to the taping in case the other guys want to wear them. Uh-huh. I'll bring the medals. I'll fucking do it all, man. Um, so, you know, follow me on Twitter and retweet my shit and vote in that poll, and hopefully I can get on at midnight. Um, before 10 months... Some of you have asked, what was that 10 months comment that David made? Did anybody ask you about that? No. <laughs> oh, yeah, a couple of people asked me. The, the truth is, yes, in 10 months, something very likely will happen with this show. But it's fucking 10 months away. So we're not talking about at, it. At most. At, it, could, it could be sooner. Yes, it could be. And as soon as something is definite. at this point, nine months. Yeah. As soon as something is definite, I will certainly let everybody know. But uh, nothing is definite as of now. And it's not fucking the end of the world. So who cares? Um, also, be my friend on Facebook. I think that was the other thing I didn't say. Okay. Um, all right. And you, uh, David? Don't, don't be my friend on Facebook. You can <laughs> find me at battleshippretension.com. That's where all my movie reviews and other stuff uh, exist. And you can email me at david at battleshippretension.com. And you can and should follow me on Twitter at DaveyPretension. So let's talk about Mavis. Yes. Well, let's talk about when it aired. <laughs> okay. So did it actually... like? I have the listing where I saw it listed on Entertainment Weekly yeah. as premiering Monday the 29th. I think it did premiere Monday the 29th, but only on demand or on HBO Go. Really? Okay. Because it has been available on demand for a week now, but it premieres on regular HBO I, tonight. I wonder if there's some sort of change between like the press time for Entertainment Weekly, you know what I mean? Because it has like it doesn't just have... Uh, you know, the date, it had a specific, like, this is on from 9 to 10.30 or whatever uh, it was. Uh, well, so you maybe they remember it. last Sunday was the Oscars. Do you, by the way, do you still have Oscar fever? Uh, no. So you're no longer dreaming in gold? <laughs> no, I took, <laughs> okay. uh, I took an Airborne. Okay, good. Um, yeah, it's very possible this was meant to, you know, premiere last week, but they said, oh no, Oscars, let's put it online and then premiere it the week after. Because it's not like it's a series, it's a one shot. And th- I have a feeling this has been made for a while. This looks like one of those documentaries that people make and then try to sell, you know. Uh-huh. <laughs> and later on, like maybe it's five years later, but they're they're because uh, Levon Helm is in this fucking documentary. That guy's right. been dead for like what ten years already. Um, it hasn't been that long. It's been a while. But um, yeah, it is. I did notice that Levon Helm was in it, and they don't mention that he has since died. Right. So exactly. It, it, that, that's a good. Yeah, he died in two thousand eight, I think. So. Um, there's a good, yeah, there's a good chance that this movie's been done for a while. It can't be that long ago, is it? No, yeah. he died in 2012. Oh, I'm sorry, okay. That's still a while ago. Yeah, four years ago. Yeah. So, uh, but also because this is one of those documentaries where it just tells a story. Uh, nothing crazy happens. Um, even like, even though it's a story about this black family of soul slash gospel singers, they still had a pretty good life. Uh-huh. You know, they uh, they grew up in Chicago where racism wasn't as bad because it's uh, segregated as long as you stayed in your neighborhood. Right. Okay. So it was a di- it was different. I'm saying unlike the South, it you wasn't the South. Yeah, you weren't as likely to be lynched. Yes, because yes. well, because in Chicago, people well, still let's say in the South, people are still racist in Chicago. Yeah, yeah. Now. And people are still racist right now. Yeah. But I'm saying in the South, if you're racist, you can go wherever you want to be racist. In Chicago, you don't go to the South Side and be racist. You know what I'm saying? Even though the South Side of Chicago is not the best place to live, it's a place where black people can go and not be bothered for being black. You know what I mean? I see. I see. Like, when you lived in Chicago, you knew you could find a really cheap apartment on the South Side, right? 
Yeah. But you didn't even bother looking because you knew better. I remember once I was working at a pizza place and I heard these two black girls talking about some apartment. And one girl said, yeah, it's only 200 a month. And I went, whoa, 200 a month? Where the fuck do you live? And she goes, it's a black neighborhood. And I went, oh, right, right, right. I forgot. There's neighborhoods <laughs> where white people shouldn't be. Because Chicago is more segregated than just about any major city it's in America. Crazy. It's because when it, first of all, when it burnt down and they rebuilt it, they said, Polish people, go over here. Black people, go over here. But also because when they when they were rebuilding the actual city with freeways and shit like that, yeah. they segregated. They put the Dan Ryan right between the white people and the poor people. Yeah. And there's, so. I mean, Chicago's a very big city. And for all of its, you know, um, cosmopolitan, you know, state of the art, like newness, there right. are parts of the south side of Chicago that look like, they look like no one has lived there for yeah. 50 years, but it people lo- live there. It looks like They're the shit you see in, down yeah, it looks like and, Detroit, the shit you see from yeah, Detroit today. It's, it's crazy that there are just huge, huge square miles yeah. of Chicago that are... It is typical, ghetto, run-down, bad neighborhood. every, uh, I will admit I am guilty, I was guilty of this too, every white Chicago college kid who takes a photography class does some sort of thing like I'm going to go down to the south side and take some pictures of how decrepit everything is, and I I did it too, and I'm embarrassed about it because yeah, be. everyone did it. I remember it my friend terrible. Chad, who I went to high school with, came to visit me when me and Jim uh, and Graham and us were all living in Chicago. Chad was living in Michigan at the time, so he came to visit, and we were just walking around at night in uh, you know like Lake Shore area. And he's like, oh, I expected there to be like people yelling out their windows and <laughs> sirens all the time. I'm like, well, yes, there are neighborhoods like that, but I don't live in it. Why the fuck would I want to live in it? <laughs> I do remember one time I'm walking down the street and I hear a window or I hear something up at a window and I look up and there's a woman with no clothes on uh, shutting the window. Like she woke up without her clothes uh-huh. on. Said, fuck, it's cold. Went to the window, <laughs> shut it, right as I looked up and went, whoa, nice boobs. And she went back to bed. And I thought, yeah, Chicago, man. Right on. It was a great thing. So, yeah, they grew up here. So it's not like, you know, even though they said, they talked about racism, it's not like they, you know, were faced with it. They got hosed or, you know, dogs ever attacked them. Uh, it's not like they had to fight in the music industry. They, you know... Almost right away, people loved him, and they made great music. Bob fucking Dylan asked Mavis to marry him. Yeah. So clearly, uh, you know, as far as... Or I like that he first, he asked... Asked Pops. Pops. Right. And Pops is like, talk to Mavis. Yes, right? <laughs> and this is what, this is why you should watch the documentary, folks, at home. Because, first of all, the music's amazing. There are songs that the Staple Singers did that I had no idea they did. And, <laughs> and she sings them, and they all sing them, and it's really fun. You learn about this family of singers, which they all seem to be lovely, really nice people. Mm-hmm. They never talk about the mom at all, which is interesting. They talk about what a great guy Pops was. Yeah, it is interesting. And uh, they show a bunch of clips of them on Soul Train and all these shows. The best clip, for sure, being the uh, that folk show hosted by the four folk oh, duo yeah, guys. The, the Brothers Four. <laughs> that is fucking great. That is worth watch sitting through the whole documentary alone. Just seeing the fucking opening credits of this show. Hilarious. Um, and then, of course, you know, Mavis Staples seems like the loveliest lady in yeah. the world. She's not... You know, like, when you watch interviews with Aretha Franklin, 
She might as well saying be saying to every answer, I'm Aretha Franklin. Mm-hmm. So Aretha, tell us about this new record. I'm Aretha Franklin. <laughs> she doesn't give a fuck about anything. Yeah. She refuses to get on a plane. She eats Cheetos by the bag full. She's Aretha Franklin. Whereas Mavis Staples, she's like very lovely. Like they ask her a question and she goes, oh, I'm glad you asked that. Because blah, 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 blah. And she couldn't be... Yeah. A sweeter person. And I watch it and go, no wonder Bob Dylan wanted to marry her. Yeah. I'm sure because she was also young and beautiful. They show those old clips of her. She was fucking gorgeous. Her whole family was. Yeah, definitely. Uh, um, so it's an interesting documentary in that sense that it doesn't tell any bad stories, yet it's incredibly interesting. Yeah. And also how her, you know, after Pops died and then she was, how she got pushed out to the front because the son joined the army and her other sister, Vaughn, really didn't give a fuck about anything. Yeah. And so she became the spokesman for the group. And then how Prince, eventually Prince kind of revitalized her career with being on Graffiti Bridge. I was Googling her to see if she had done any other acting. And she was in Graffiti Bridge okay. pretty much as herself. But she was also on a show called The Psychiatrist in the 60s. Clearly <laughs> it was like well, those times when they would get act, uh, musicians to try to act. And The Psychiatrist was called what they called a foreign one. Where every week it was a different show. Oh, every four right. weeks it was a different show. And the four shows were The Psychiatrist, San Francisco International Airport, <laughs> which was a show that took place at SFO, uh, McLeod, the actual McLeod, and Dark Shadows. Oh. And eventually, the next month, they canceled the bad to two bad shows, gave Dark Shadows its own slot, and then then they said, well, let's do something else with this foreign one. And that became the... NBC Mystery Movie or CBS okay. Mystery Movie, where it was McLeod, Banachek, Amy I Prentice, all those other shows. I can't believe there was a like a, a primetime drama called San Francisco it's International. Funny, Airport. yeah. And the psychiatrist starred Roy Thinnis, who was a star of The Invaders. He played the first DA in the pilot for Law and Order. Uh, but it was just a shrink who would talk to people every week. But the funny thing was, this is just a side note. It said that there was this one episode that everyone was talking about where Pete Duell played this drug addict. It's a 90-minute episode, and mm-hmm. it was so great, he came back. Eventually, Pete Duell shot himself in the head. Killed himself. He was on Alias Smith & Jones. He fucking killed himself. People were very troubled back in the day, early days of TV. Yeah, not like now. <laughs> um. But this, uh, but she was on that, but they don't talk, they only talk about the music. And I liked how they talked to all the people she worked with, you know, even J- Jeff Tweedy, who yeah. I'm not a big fan of. But I. Why that, aren't you a big fan of Jeff Tweedy? Yeah, it's just boring. I don't. It's not like I hate him. Oh. I just don't like Wilco. Although I like Tweedy. Have you ever heard any Tweedy stuff? Yeah, that's all right. Him and his son. I it's like not, that. I like the Wilco stuff better. Really? I have a bone to pick with Jeff Tweedy. Oh yeah. And with Wilco, because they first Uncle Tupelo before them, and then Wilco. Uh-huh. They were local St. Louis, Missouri band because the part of Illinois they were from. He's not far from St. Louis. Okay. He even sings in that song "Heavy Metal Drummer" by going to see bands on the landing, which is where bands play. One of the places bands play in St. Louis. Okay. And then as soon as Wilco got big, they moved to Chicago and claimed Chicago as their hometown. That's where it's his like, loft was, yeah. Yeah, it just seems like the kind of like the St. Louis scene like supported them for so long, kind mm. of. Okay. Um, That's a legit, and, right? And then they, I still love all the music, Uncle Tupelo and Wilco. Uh, but uh, do you blame them for doing that for adopting Chicago as their new home? I, it's a great city. No, I guess you're right. I've never been to I would, St. I would Louis. Live in Chicago. <laughs> yeah, see, there you go. I've never been to St. Louis, and I hear it's very nice. But fucking Chicago is Chicago, man. 
Um, what are some things I liked? I liked seeing Levon Helm, and he t- and he was basically dying in that movie. He says, "Yeah, I'm going to cancer treatments. It sucks." Yeah, yeah. Uh, you can tell he's dying. They talked to Bob Dylan a little bit. Um, well, that's, that's old footage. Old footage. Yeah, because it looked like it was shot on, you know. Oh yeah, yeah. HD. It was. Yeah, video. and same with the print stuff. That's yeah. old from from Graffiti Bridge and the making of. Um, but mostly it's Tweety. Who else do they talk to in that? Well, they talk, they talk to the um, the biogra- biographer who wrote the biography of the Staples Singers. Right. Uh, Who's very informative. Very informative. Uh, and that's kind of what I want to get get at. Because uh, I really enjoyed this. It's also... I always mention movies are short. It's like 85 minutes at most. Mm-hmm. Probably 80 minutes, probably. Yeah. Um, and that's always fun. But um, I talked about this on, on Battleship Pretension when there's certain... Documentaries about musicians or bands or whatever, sometimes if I'm already a big fan, I find them boring because it's yeah. like, yeah, I know. I know they're great and right. all this stuff. This is something that I like. Uh, I, yeah, like you said, there's songs that you realize you know that you didn't even realize were Staples singers or right. Staples. Um, this was like, oh yeah, I realize now I'm a big fan and it was very informative. And also putting into context um, kind of... Uh, the thing that Ray Charles gets a lot of credit for, which is blending gospel with with R and B, like that's what Pop's Staples mm-hmm. was doing, um, and with his um, guitar styling having been learned from Charlie Patton and Howling Wolf and stuff like that, right? And uh, blending that with 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 gospel and and the fact that they in this fairly short documentary that's obviously actually about Mavis Staples, they had a section devoted to the way that Pop Staples played guitar. That was really interesting and informative to yeah. me, and I do feel like I know more. Not just about the stable singers, but about like that era of yeah. black popular music. Uh, well, and it, that's a big deal, though. That's a big part of it because it's not like they were blues musicians from the fucking Bayou before the days of recorded music. Right. They were on Soul Train. They were a popular group. Yeah. They were famous. They toured all over. And there's a my favorite part is where they're talking to Pops on some show. And he says, well, you know, I like to get into it. Even though I'm an old man, he uses those words. I like to get into it. Yeah. Which is a James Brown thing, meaning I like I like gospel music, but I like soul more. And that's yeah. why we play it. Yeah, that interview, he's he's so cool. And that it's ah. such a tiny, like, snippet of interview because he's right? like to get into it. He says something about, he has a weird way of saying that he has gray hair now. Yeah, I got some that, dust on the roof or whatever <laughs> he says. That, it's really great. Yeah. And then someone, something he says, a woman in the crowd says... Right on. And yeah, he yeah. And goes, right on. Yeah, right? <laughs> it's, and it's all very real. And so then, not to spoil it, but then at the end of the documentary, when they're playing that song yeah. for her, and she cries, it's a very real, genuine moment. And you get yeah. it. Anyone who's ever lost their father watches that and goes, ah, he was a cool guy. Yeah. If he was my dad, I'd be sad too. And and it's it's a great ending, but it's you realize, oh, this... That is a nice life. And she's still alive, right? Yeah. It's not like the movie was let out after she's dead. The cool thing is there are people who can still see her sing, her and Yvonne both, with you know these guys that they've been touring with forever. I did want to talk about this before we end it. And we, I brought it up at the beginning. We were talking about that Blackish episode and the black experience yeah, and all that. Like, yeah. And... Uh, and I mentioned, I was saying to Brooke, I was like, the thing is, even if you, like, sh- they grew up in black America, but they don't talk about that, having to sit at the back of the bus, or any of that other bullshit that they had to go through. Uh-huh. They don't mention it. And yet, obviously, that affected them. They grew up in 
that world where, you know, people looked at them differently because they were black. And it affects you as a person. And then as an artist, it affects your performance. I've always said that black people, men, women, uh, singers, actors, writers, they they produce their art in a certain way. And even if it's not about being black, just the fact, the way that Lou Gossett acts in a movie, the way that Queen Latifah sings anything she sings, there's something about it that a white person will never, ever be able to capture or to, uh, to uh, re, what's the word I'm saying, I'm looking for, you can do it again. Reproduce. Okay. <laughs> Smoke too much pot. Uh, a white person will never be able to reproduce that because they will never in a million years know what it's like to be to fear, to be afraid just because of the color of the skin, to want to hide the color of your skin. That's something that you and I will never understand in a million years. And, you know, when Anthony Anderson gives that speech and Larry Fishburne says, yeah, remember Sandra Bland? You know that there are specific moments in their lives, even though they're rich and famous, there are specific moments in their lives when a cop looked at them and they thought, oh my God, I'm going to get thrown in jail at least. Right. You know, and they fear for, just like a woman, and this is a complete separate topic, but you and I will never know the fear of a woman walking across a parking lot by herself. Yeah. You know, and so you watch people, uh, you watch people perform uh, and just uh, in this way, and in the you know when she's singing, uh, I'll take you there, and she's going wow 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 yeah. wow, and you're like holy fuck, <laughs> tell it, do it. No <laughs> white person can ever do that, yeah. and you know, and, and that's what uh, uh, this is a bigger conversation, but that's why people who say there's no racism in America can go fuck themselves because if there's no racism in America, then you're not pointing out the differences between people. Because, yes, black people are better at certain things than white people. And that's a racist thing to say, but it's true. <laughs> and it's dumb to say a compliment is racist, but it is by definition. For me to say the Carmichael show is the black Seinfeld, that's a, that's a compliment, right? If yeah. I say to you, you know what, David? You're like, Jerry, you're like the Jerry Seinfeld of podcasting. Uh -huh. That's a compliment, right? Right. You would tell people, holy shit. You know what Paul said to me today? Uh -huh. And now, but if I say... And then to who I'd say, Paul Gold. He was on TV well. Who? But to say like the the Carmichael show is the black Seinfeld, by saying it's the black Seinfeld, I make it a racist comment. Uh -huh. Even though it's still a compliment. You know, I can easily say Carmichael show is the best sitcom since Seinfeld. Has nothing to do with race. But I think it's selling this the show short. Because when I say David Allen Greer is hilarious on it. He's like the black Kramer. And now that's not even accurate because he's a hundred times funnier than Michael Richards and in a very different way. But if I say it's like the black Seinfeld, I'm just putting it in perspective that it is the best comedy, uh, best sitcom since Seinfeld. And it captures that kind of comedy better than Mulaney uh, uh -huh. or the Michael Richards show or any show since. Seinfeld, where they gave a comedian his own show. This show fucking nails it. And so, I mean, yeah, there's, there's, yes, there's racism in America, but it's partly because we have to notice the differences between our races. Otherwise, what's the fucking point? Just don't be a dick about it. You know, when you see a black guy and go, damn, you're fucking good at basketball. <laughs> just don't be a dick about it. Just yeah. be like, it's like when you see little kids and they say something racist. 
<laughs> you know, but they're not being racist. Yeah. Like, I went into a 7-Eleven once with my kids. Uh-huh. And, of course, there was a brown dude with a turban working there. And as we left, my daughter goes, that guy looked like a poo. And she thought it was hilarious yeah. that, that we went into a convenience store where there was a brown guy working who looked and talked like a poo. Not understanding that right. she's being racist uh-huh. because the Simpsons are racist because they're preying on racist stereotypes. Right? If it wasn't for the racist stereotypes that we all right. harbor inside, that... There would be no joke about that. There would be no Apu. And it's it, she was innocently going, ha-ha, that guy's Apu, because she's a little kid. She They were little at the time. But, of course, if a grown-up does that, and they're all of a sudden a racist. And I, and I admit, yes, you are a racist if you do that. You, you can't say that shit out loud because you might hurt someone's feelings. And that's what, you know, that's what makes it racist to say... Okay. I'm doing it to hurt someone's feelings. All right. Well, but we're to, done. I'm glad that Mavis made you think. It, it really did. The best part was, as we're watching it, I think I mentioned before, Brooke was really high because her back was hurting. So she she ate a <laughs> edible and, and she was high all day. But as we're watching it, she looks over at me and goes, I really want some fried chicken. <laughs> Pretty racist. And I looked at her and I went, why? Because you're watching the soul documentary <laughs> about Mavis? You want some watermelon too? And she laughed because... She didn't realize it. She went, no, I'm just really high and I really want some fried chicken. Um, <laughs> and then I went and got her and we got some fucking soul food. It was delicious. Oh, where'd you go? We went to Sweet Moe's. It's Miss Peaches. It's the same shit. Yeah. But we live even closer now, so I just went and got it. Got some chicken and some yams and some greens and mac and cheese and this thing they sell called Dirty Fries, which are the most fucking delicious thing. Oh, and ooey gooey butter pie that they make there. If you live anywhere near the North Hollywood area and you haven't gone to Sweet Moe's or at least eaten the food from there, you are fucking stupid because it is the best soul uh, food in the valley. I guess I'm pretty stupid. You are a dumb I motherfucker. I'll go. Um, <laughs> all right. That's that. I want to tell but uh, sorry, you reminded me of a story about myself. Yeah? Of, Being uh, racist? Ki- kids saying racist things. Kids say the most but racist this, things. This is the thing where my parents thought I was saying something racist when I wasn't. Right. So they took me to a... a, a, a St. Louis Cardinals baseball game. Okay. And I was a little kid. And I kept saying, I was like, who are all those black guys out on the field? Meaning well, black uniforms? See, this is what they didn't realize. Right. That I, because there's black players, they were like, and I was, they, they thought I was just like, was sheltered and not re- realized. You've never seen a black athlete <laughs> before? I, I'm, I, I'm saying I was a, like, I don't even remember this. This is, oh, okay. I was a real little kid. All right. Um, and there, and it, yeah, so you gave away the, the thing. They're like trying to shush Was me. it the Black Sox? And, were they playing uh, the Black Sox? No. Or the White what Sox? What I was right? saying is, they were, I think they were playing like the, let's say it's the Royals. That wouldn't make sense because they didn't have any league. Anyway, uh, <laughs> a team in blue. So I said, no, there's the red guys, the Cardinals, and the blue guys, the other team. Oh. Who are the black guys? The umpires. The umpires. Right, okay. Yeah, so I don't know. You uh, kind of stepped on the punchline there. Oh. But, um, well, that's funny. I apologize. I should, I should let you tell your story. But yes, uh, that's yeah. that's funny because your parents, being good parents, they immediately think, "Is he being racist?" I hope not. Let's <laughs> shut this down. Yeah. But yeah, kids, kids fucking do that. It, the, one time when we were little, when we were little, the kids were little. We we're driving around. We we're going to go to Fuddruckers because it's a good place to take your kids for dinner. Because yeah. they have bullshit food that kids will eat. <laughs> and so we would go there a lot. And also, I love their hamburgers. But you know, they have it's not real food. It's kid food. <laughs> so, anyways, as we're leaving. Uh, we're like Zoe's like what is that place called I think she was four or five what is that place called and we go Fuddruckers and she goes oh that kind of sounds like fuck doesn't it (laughs) and she wasn't like 
like a teenager would use that as an excuse to cuss uh-huh. and not get in trouble. But she was just saying, oh, it sounds like fuck. And you know what? She's right. <laughs> oh, because yeah. that's the point of Fuddruckers. They said, let's give it a name that makes people think they're saying a bad word, but they aren't, really. Yeah. So, yeah, you're right. It does sound like fuck. That's why they call it that. <laughs> so, could you please not say that word anymore? <laughs> that's what I had to say, because I couldn't get mad at her. I had to say, you're right. That's why they say that. But a lot of people don't like that word, so let's just say it amongst us. And that became the rule, sadly, in our house. I was like, you guys, you can say whatever you want around the house and around us, but not around other people. Although I did say, however, there is one word that if I ever hear you say it, you will be very, very sorry. And they knew exactly what I was talking about. And to this day, I've never heard them say it. They've heard me say it plenty of times when I'm trying to be an asshole, but they have never said it to their credit. And I'll say this. Uh, I've made a lot of failures in my life, and a lot of them have to do with uh, being a parent, but I am proud to say that my kids are not homophobic, and they are not racist in any way. In fact, my daughter's bisexual, according to her. So there you go. So I am probably the most liberal guy you I know. You think you did that? I think you I ma- did. You made her bisexual? Yes, I did. Made, well, she looked at me and went, if this is what dudes are, no thank you. I'm all about chicks, and I don't blame her. Open up my options. Could you blame her? If you had a daughter, would you want her to date dudes? No. No fucking way. I want my daughter to date chicks. As far as I know, and this is truth, and we're getting way off topic here, I am almost positive that my youngest bisexual daughter has had sex now. I mean, she's 14, so that's not a big surprise. Uh, 15 now. but But I'm almost positive that she's had sex with another woman, with another girl. Right. To, in my mind... Eh, it's not really sex, right? I mean, it's, it's like just a, it's just extreme making out, is what on, it is. Uh, on Rescue Me, Dennis Leary's character was over the moon when he thought his daughter, yeah, man, was being, yeah, if she can go uh, her whole life without being fucking, you know, victimized by a dude, I'm all for it. Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, eventually, most women are like, I think I would like a cock. I think I'd like to try <laughs> a cock. I want to at least try it. Um, which I get, but hopefully she'll stick with chicks. But uh, Tyler and I were talking about the the Amazing Race, um, current season. Yeah, and there's the one father daughter team where like he's like carrying her like hair hair her hair dryer. Oh yeah, and stuff yeah, yeah. Oh her. shit. And then, but that's what I was saying is that if I had a daughter, I think I would spoil her rotten. Yes, well, well, that's I mean that's very common. Girls. I had two, so yeah. I couldn't spoil one and, and neglect the other. But it's very common if you, especially if there's only one girl in the family uh-huh. and it's all boys. She's the queen of the whole world, which is the way it should my, be. My I sister think. didn't have to take out the garbage when there were like chores. There you she go. got to say like, "Yeah, I don't want to take out the garbage," and she no didn't thing. have to because <laughs> your dad would go, "Okay, David." <laughs> yeah, because you didn't weren't allowed to say that, right? No, what, yeah, what if no. you had said to your dad, "Yeah, I don't think I want to do it either." What would he have done? I would have laughed at first, <laughs> and then I think. If I insisted on it, I would have gotten a very stern look with no words accompanying right. it. I would have been like, my oh, dad I'm going to go take out the Yeah, garbage. my dad would have laughed and looked and went, really? <laughs> I said, yeah, I don't feel like it. He goes, okay, well, do you feel like sleeping here tonight or eating food? <laughs> and I would have said, yeah. And he goes, and do you feel like not getting your ass beat? My dad threatened to beat our ass so much. And he never had to. Like, when we were kid, kids, we would get spankings. Yeah. But when we were older, I remember one time my brother had the nerve to say, and he was already an adult, 
by this time I was still in high school, but he had the nerve to say, no, I think I could take you in a fight. <laughs> said that to my dad right to his face. And I just looked at my dad and my dad went, really? He laughed and said, well, anytime you're feeling froggy, let me know. <laughs> it was so great. And I was like, thank God he said that. I was like, thank God my brother was the first guy to say that. Because yeah. I never said anything like that to my dad. Even when he was dying, even when it was clear, I could have kicked his ass. <laughs> I still was like, I don't want to fucking fight my dad because uh, I would feel bad if I beat up my dad, wouldn't you? Yeah, I, I never could. I mean, my even my when dad, he was an old man, you my couldn't? dad would never. Well, my dad never got to be an old man. He died at forty-five, and it was very sudden. Oh, really? Um, oh, so okay. he was never out of shape. Like my dad, yeah. up to the point he died, my dad could have taken me in fight. He could have died kicking your ass. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, All right. But that's. I think that's the secret to my because my parents never spanked me. But the secret is. They never let me feel 100% comfortable that I wouldn't get spanked. Yeah. Like, it was always, like, it always seemed like if I went over a line, yeah, yeah. I might get spanked. For the longest time, uh, there was, a, you know, because obviously we eventually stopped spanking our kids. But for the longest time, I could just go, one, and I wouldn't even have to get to two. Uh-huh. They would get up and go. And eventually, I think it was crazy, who said, what's going to happen when you get the three? And I had to go, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> and they eventually stopped. I had to start talking to them like grown-ups. What are we, talk- what are we watching next week? All right. Next week, I want to watch this new show, Damien. It's on A&E. Would and I guess... Sign of quality. <laughs> well, they, they realized they had a hit with Bates Motel, doing right. basically... Take completely deconstructing the psycho myth and making a new thing. So they're going to do the same thing with The Omen, and Damien's a young kid. But, uh, I mean, I like the first season of Bates Motel, so maybe this will be good. I don't know. But, yeah, we have a bad track record with shows on A&E. Yeah. But that's what I want to watch. What did I, I want to watch Broad City. Yeah? I haven't watched it yet this season. No, really? No, it's, I don't watch TV anymore. Because you don't so watch any more TV. It's just on, it's on my DVR. So, so you're not going to catch up. You're just going to watch. I'm gonna ca- I, can, I can watch four oh, okay. half-hour episodes. Uh, I'll catch up. So you will catch up uh, to yeah, this week's episode. I'll catch up because I'm going to say, all right, let's sit down and watch this. <laughs> For the world-renowned staple singers. Yeah.